You are now in tune with the Talking Reggae podcast. As always, I am your host, Jay, from Street Level Uprising. And this is, this is the first emergency podcast we've ever had to do here on Talking Reggae. Because my dude, Anthony, from Soul Tribe, Soul Tribe's got this, well, I don't want to give you too much information now, but Soul Tribe, by the time you're watching or listening to this podcast, Soul Tribe will have a new remix EP out that we're going to get into along with a lot of other things. So please give a nice welcome to my guest, Anthony of Soul Tribe. All right, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. So, so uh, I could say what's new, right? And we're going to find out, but we're going to get to that. But the place I always like to start with everyone is in the beginning. So tell me about the first time the reggae vibes infected you. Oh, shoot. Well, man, like I grew up in like inner city, San Antonio, Texas. Right. And at the time that I was there, like the U.S. government had been handing out work visas to people from the Caribbean like crazy. Mm. Right. And a lot of them came to like Houston and San Antonio, New York and other places too. But like we had like a thriving Caribbean community and around the corner from my house was an outdoor venue called the Sunken Garden Theater. And they would host like four reggae festivals every year at this outdoor theater. There was like Bob Marley Fest, Reggae in the Park, Reggae Sun Splashes kind of thing. So my first real exposure to reggae came from like, you know, before I was old enough to drive, we could like ride our bikes and go to these things, you know, and there was like Rasta men walking around and like reggae music playing and this kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, at the beginning, it was like, like a young, like, like herb lovers paradise. You know, we was there for like the urban thing, but like the music kind of like caught my attention and the culture, because there was like, it was even like a separation. You see like a lot of like some of the like local youth that like took reggae as like a, like an herb culture thing. But then there was, it was also like a gathering place for people in the Caribbean community. And so like we, we, you know, I kind of, that was really my first exposure to reggae music. Oh, nice, man. Nice. So after that, did you start kind of digging into it, looking up different, different artists and, and really start getting into it? Or did it take you a little more time? Um, we did start, we started digging into it right away, you know, and like there's some of the surface level stuff, not surface level, there's some of the immediate stuff that grabs you like, uh, um, Peter Tosh and Bob Marley, mm. you know, uh, but at the same time too, we had like, uh, um, a regional radio station. There was a college station near the college that I grew up in and they had like, like, uh, a couple of reggae shows. And so they would like, in a, a, you know introduce us to different artists uk mm-hmm. artists oswad and steel pulse and this nice. kind of stuff and then also like this thing but like growing up for us it was like reggae was just part of your uh library and i didn't realize it wasn't like that for kids everywhere like for us it was like you know what do you listen to oh i like metallica and bob marley and i like you know dr dre you know what i mean it was just like part of the whole thing so but it was i think it was had a lot to do with like growing yeah. up with that like caribbean energy and community near us yeah right on man that's that's cool and you know growing up in florida i had kind of the same experience where you know you go to other places and all of a sudden it's like oh it's not like it was (laughs) it's not like it was where i grew up like you know and and still like like being out here in the middle of the country 
things things take more time to get out here. It takes more time to for the stuff to make its way from the coast out here. So uh, I definitely see it's a different different experience growing up in a in a place like this. Were you playing music, like playing guitar from an early age? Like, w- were you already doing that when you started stumbling across this stuff? Absolutely. Like, I, I started really, um, about, I started on the bass guitar when I was uh, 14, but I'd taken like guitar and, and playing in garage bands, that kind of thing. But like, I'd taken like piano and guitar lessons when I was a kid on the playground, I was putting together make-believe bands with my friends, you know, like, it's like, it's like my mission in life all leading up to that point. So, I mean, like, even while I like started out, like playing punk rock primarily, you know, and that, and producing like, you know, hip hop beats on drum machines and this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like reggae came in, like, gosh, I was probably about 18 when I first started playing reggae music. So it wasn't too far behind everything else, you know? Yeah. Who were, who were some of those like you mentioned punk and hip hop? Who were some of the artists that you were digging at that age? Um, man, when you're young, like when I was young, it was like No Effects was definitely like a band. You know, I saw Green Day before they like blew up in like a small punk rock club, and that was cool. You know, and like um, you know, like hip hop education that we had. You know, definitely like the gangster rap thing was really cool, you know, like NWA and this kind of thing. But like, I was really into Public Enemy and the, like the powerful message behind that, yeah. you know, big time. And um, even there was a group called um, Arrested Development. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And I really, I just dug that energy and that, that whole thing they was putting out, you know, so... Um, and then of course, like Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, like that whole like golden era of, of, of hip hop thing. And then, you know, Biggie Smalls and Busta Rhymes and, you know, all them guys that like, that they, they came from like Jamaican parents. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize until I was later in my yeah. days when I was like really getting into, you know, but they had that like bubbly kind of ragamuffin thing, but it was like kind of hidden behind this like New York kind of swagger. So that stuff too. Tupac, come on though. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. No, no, man, you're talking my language. You're talking my language with all because I came up on all the same stuff, especially like you said, public enemy. Um, and like the, the, the message in the music was always big for me. Like no matter what music I listen to, I definitely tend towards the more conscious stuff. Right. So whether I was, you know, whether it was, it was reggae or hip hop or punk, like whatever I was doing, like I was always much more of a clash fan than any of like the Ramones or the Sex Pistols because I dug I dug that militant message that the Clash has. So like, no matter no matter what I was digging on, I was always more into the conscious stuff. I actually saw I saw No Effects I saw No Effects open up for I want to say the Presidents of the United States of America. If you remember okay. that, if you remember them, I, I saw I saw Effects open up for them in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, back uh, at some point in the mid '90s. So I have seen No Effects once. Um, so by the time you're 18, you're putting bands together at that point? Yeah, I'd already, I played my first gig when I was 15. So like cool. when I was a kid, I was like playing in garage bands. And then I was like the young guy playing in the bands that I was, I, you know, I'd have to like sit outside because it was a bar and they'd let me in. <laughs> and I'd have to go sit back outside. I thought it was cooler. <laughs> uh, anything else I could be doing at that time, you know? Uh, I guess it was. It you was, know? yeah. When I was, uh, when I was 18, 19, I met 
um, a man, Ross Gilbert, he's a reggae DJ and drummer to this day. He runs the Candon Sound and Shashamani Sound System. And he introduced me to Buffalo Soldier, who was a local artist in San Antonio at the time. And we put together like a youth band called Gideon to back up this artist, Buffalo Soldier. And he was signed to a label that uh, Tristan Palma was signed to the like classic Jamaican artist. And so he came up, we backed him up. And so at like 19, I was like, I, we, I'd already opened for like the ITALs. We did a show with them guys. And we did, we did like um, a couple like Bob Marley Fest and this kind of thing. And then we like traveled um, twice across the United States in like a converted school bus like a bunch of youth and this like elder Rasta, you know, uh, artist who like, like, I'm not sure you can find Buffalo Soldiers material now. It's kind of like predates the digital age, but he was the first like, like American born youth to ever like get signed to Rasta Records. And like he went down to Jamaica and worked with like Firehouse Crew and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of what's going on in the States now where like reggae music's like something that, that people who aren't like culturally Jamaican or whatnot can, can be participate in. He was one of the pioneers of that. And so I think for like us youth, it was like, a, you know, it was a revelation before like we even knew that this other thing was going to take place that's going on now, which I dig it too, you know? Yeah, man, it's it's um it's changed quite a bit, uh, you know, even over like the last, say, 25 years, the, the way reggae has taken root in this country beyond just listening, but to all of all of the artists that have sprung up in the U.S. I mean, that's huge. And that goes right back to cats like that. You know, it yeah. goes it goes back to, uh, you know, a, a lot of the Jamaican bands that, that would that would come over and put roots down like Morgan Heritage. Uh, Kansas City had uh before I got here they had the the Blue Rhythm band which was like you know everybody keeps telling me like when I moved here like oh it's a shame you didn't grow up here you'd have got to see them you know so it it really did open things up for the explosion that we've had in the past so so you were playing bass back then right you're playing bass and yeah. that uh at what point did you switch to playing guitar and front in a band did that start with Soul Tribe or did you get started on that before Soul Tribe it did, but, you know, um, actually it started, I was playing bass. There was an elder Rasta man who had, like, taken me on as, a, like, a, as a student, you know. His name was Rasai Jinga. He's passed on now. He was from Trinidad and Tobago. He was a pan player and a drummer. And so he and I had, like, built this band to back up this young singer, Nikita, who was in San Antonio, and she was like raised in like the mariachi tradition. So she had this huge voice, but she loved reggae music, right? And so um, one thing led to another. We, we, we had like the project moving forward. And then at the age of 19, she passed away. Oh, man. And yeah, it was really tragic death and this whole kind of thing. And Ross Ijinga, my mentor, he was like, you know, Tony. As we call me is like Tony. That means that you need to step up and do this thing. Mm. And so, like, I I couldn't sing. Well, that's not everybody can sing. I I had to train my voice to sing at the time. So, like, 
you know, and I've been playing guitar for years. Like I even studied like uh, flamenco and classical guitar in college for a while as a music major. I did that and I also studied like Latin percussion and this kind of thing. But like, um, and that's really, that's really what turned the whole thing over. And he and I built Soul Tribe and uh, it was originally just going to be a studio project to kind of make up for lost time that we lost with, with our, our sister who had passed. And we went down to um, Trinidad and Tobago and we like recorded with a bunch of like cats from San Antonio, a lot of whom had played in uh, um, Gideon, the band that had backed Buffalo Soldier. And uh, we put the thing together and, you know, it's just, it just it kept going after that. You know, I turned it into a touring project and, you know, and now we've been all over the country a few times. Yeah, cool. So this is, so, so this, uh, the project that you started that's now grown into what it is today. So this is, this is a long time in the making. You've been doing this for a while now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and the thing is like, if you take back to go all the way back to like the mentorship that I had with the Rasa Ejinga, that was all taking place while I was working as like a techno DJ. Mm. Like I was like a nightclub rave DJ while I was playing reggae music. And so like that, I was even when I wasn't playing music, I was still studying with him. So this goes back a number of years, you know, and had a different, a couple different identities before we settled on where we're at today. Uh, cool. When do you feel like it really crystallized into what it is today? Um, once when we got on the road, yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, and we had like, um, we had some business support from, uh, some, uh, you know, investors and business partners who got involved and we ended up actually in doing like a run around, uh, South by Southwest to kind of like make contacts and this kind of thing. And, um, we had like, uh, through a friend for the, one of the musicians in the band, he knew some of the guys who were getting behind Gary Clark Jr. Who's a blues artist yeah. from Austin. Right. Yeah. And he was just coming out at the time. So like, we was like hanging out in that camp and there was a lot of like important people buzzing around. Right. Cause Gary Clark's like, got the attention of Eric Clapton and these, you know, some, you know, Clive yeah. Davis and some really huge people. Right. And so, um, we were out there like, they had like a it's South by Southwest. If anybody's been there, it's like, you know, there's showcases, but there's also like street parties and, and studio parties and this kind of thing. So it was like, they had like a, a home base office slash studio. And there was a man there who was the senior VP of Sony records. Right. And so uh, me and my, my uh, partner at the time, or the band's manager at the time, we were there and like, yo, so we're going to have like two seconds with this guy. And we're like, you know, what's the one piece of advice you can give us? And he said, get on the road, stay on the road. Yeah. You know, and that was like, that was the, the best and worst <laughs> advice that we ever got. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I mean, he's right. Like, you know, it's, it's you know, but yeah, but you got to yeah. do a lot more than that too. And I think if you're like the VP of Sony Records, you know, you're thinking of like somebody who has like a team of like seven or eight people, and each person specializing in different stuff. But yeah. you know, as you know, as an independent artist, like, man, like you're 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 your publicist, your booking agent, you know, you're your manager, band leader, songwriter, producer. Like, it's all in one place. So, yeah, yeah I mean. You know, we've, we've done 15 tours across 25 states and that's like our, our great accomplishment. And it is, mm -hmm. but 
at the same time too, like it wasn't really until COVID hit that we had an opportunity to sit down and focus on some other things. And that's why like a lot of this material we've been recording and working on for years is starting to come out and it's just, it's going to keep coming too, like until we get back on the road and hopefully still after that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've had the time now to kind of sit down and say, okay, we can't be out on the road. What are we? And, and, and artists all dealt with 2020 differently. Some people just looked at it like, well, heck, I'm going to take a break. Some people went a more creative route. So it really, that, that advice about, you know, get on the road and stay on the road. It's like, it's like, I love how you put that, that it's like the best advice and the worst advice, because it's, it's, it's absolutely true that even, even in the internet age, and that's what a lot of the younger artists don't get. And I hear a lot of comments from record labels that say like, or people say, why doesn't so-and-so tour more often? And it's like, cause so-and-so can't play live. Like so-and-so never learned how to get on stage. Right. And, and so like, so, so-and-so made this bit that went big on SoundCloud and had this huge tune, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to get on stage. They don't know. You got to pay your dues out there. And, and it doesn't really matter whether you start with an album or whether you start out on the, but you got to get out there and you have to play shows, whether it's after you recorded before. So yeah. But at the same time, like it's the most soul sucking ass kicking experience you could possibly be, you know, there's no, there's nothing more humbling than being out on the road and living like that, man. You know? And it's like, and people don't understand, like they say, Oh, you're on tour. It's like, for most of us, touring doesn't mean an, a, a big bus and nice hotel rooms. And like, nah, it means like busting your ass every night in a dumpy little club. And then like trying to catch a couple hours in the van while you're good. It's like, this is not a, not a glamorous life, man. So, you know, but you got to be tough and you got to be able to get out there and and do it. And that's what y'all do. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I, and I have to agree because I mean, it really is for the people who are musicians out there aspiring to get on the road. It's an exercise in stamina. It's an exercise in teamwork. You know, I mean, you, your, your, your bandmates should ideally be like your, your, your homies. It should be like your, you know, your good friends, but I don't care. Like who we are. If you ever grew up with brothers and sisters, like you love them, you know, but like spending, you know, every day eating, sleeping together, you know, and within arm's reach of each other, you know I mean? It takes, it takes a lot. And then, and then there's also like an internal psychological aspect of it that I've seen like, plenty of people like break down on the road and because it is hard and you know especially when you're starting out like we've slept in more walmart parking lots and and truck stops than i'd like to admit you know and that's just and you know i mean that's and it makes you tougher it makes you appreciate when you get that like airbnb even if you got like just a corner on the floor it's a lot better but you know at the same time like you know i think that most groups that we know about today we do because of their like tenacity, not necessarily because of their talent. We all know those, those talented musicians and bands that, especially as musicians, we keep an ear out for them that no one else will ever hear about, you know, because just for whatever reason, the chemistry or the, you know, the, the ability to stay with it didn't, didn't last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Work, I mean, man, we're all talented. Talent, I mean, a, a talented musician is a dime a dozen, man. A talented songwriter has gotten to be a dime a dozen these days. Yeah. If you want, if you want to get where you want to be, it's the work ethic that's going to get you there. And I don't know, have you ever heard um, how Taylor Swift got like it's 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 a it's a crazy story. You'd think like because pop stars these days are usually found on YouTube or whatever, right? But when she was coming up, 
she linked up with this manager and she's like, all right, what do we do? And he's like, you want to know what we do? She's like, yeah. He's like, if you want a million fans, let's go out and meet a million people. And so yeah. they, and so she went on the road and she did the thing. She didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like I got, I got a lot of respect for Taylor Swift because she came up the hard way. She came up the old fashioned way and right. she went out and she did them shows and she met them people one-on-one the same way that you and I do. And now she's been like the biggest artist in the world for like the last 10 years. It's like, but she's been able to sustain it when a lot of other pop artists can't because of the way she came up. Right. True. You know, and there is, there is something, there's something different in the way that you like uh, touch the mic and like touch your instrument when you've like been through that, that ringer, you know, especially, you know, and it's not, and it isn't just like the stuff off stage. It's like when you got to travel and like, not every night's going to be like a good night, you know, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you're going to play, especially when you're cutting your teeth, you're going to be playing to like a crowd of people got their back turned to you at the bar, you know, and could really care less, you know, and you got, but you, you develop a talent for like identifying what's going on in the room and how to like work the room. And then when you're in a position where you have, a, a, you know, everybody's attention or a larger crowd, you're still exercising that, that skill, you know, and everybody could do it. You just have to be put in that position over and over and over again to figure out how to do it. You know, it's right. not, it's not a particular talent you're born with, but it's something that you learn over time. Yeah. It surprises me how many people come into music thinking it's going to be easy, thinking that's going to be different from any other discipline. Like if I wanted to be an engineer, right. Uh, which I don't have the math for, but, <laughs> but if I was going to do that, right. Like you, you go to school, you pay your dues, you, you're an apprentice or whatever the, you know, you go through and people, people sometimes get into music and figure out, you know, well, I got, I, I, I bought pro pro tools and I made a song and now I'm going to be a star. It's like, no, nah, man, like this is like anything else. It's like, you got to put in the work. I love what you said a few minutes ago about like, doesn't matter how well you get along with your bandmate. Cause for me, I intentionally try to play with people that I know I'm going to get along with and their, their musical talent to me is almost secondary. Like as long as they can play, they can play, you know what I mean? But like, but like, man, I I can find another drummer. If we don't get along or if there's stress and conflict in the band, this ain't going to work. Well, and you know, and that, that speaks to the point of what an audience really listens to for too. It's, it's like the chemistry between the players, you know, I mean, like it's that that's what makes the band tight. That's what like locks the groove and digs the pocket deep, you know, and it's and it's, you know, and you do you do have to like have an energy between you. And then you also have to have the staying power to play together so many times that, you know, that you have that like uh, cohesive uh, energy or whatever, you know, and really like the best music isn't difficult. You know, like if any songwriters out there, young people coming up, the best songs, man, they're not hard. You know, it's not the point. Yeah, yeah, it's True. not the it's, 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 it's like the emotive expression and how, how tight the crew is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let's, let's talk about your sound, man. I dig your sound and I'll tell you why I dig it. And, and it goes to something you just said there about the best songs are simple. When I, when I'm listening to soul tribe, I don't feel like, Oh, this guy's trying to show off his guitar player. Uh, oh, this bass player is trying to show how fancy he can be. Yeah. Oh, this drum. I feel like when I'm listening to your music, I feel like y'all are serving the song, which is, this is, that's, that's number one as a musician to me. And, yeah. and everything else is way below that, right? Yeah. Your sound to me is very open. There's a lot of space. Yes. You're, you're not trying to show off. 
You've got the framework of your tune. I've seen, I've seen that you describe it as reggae alternative. And I, and I like, I like that too, because of the sounds you use, you use a lot of keys, a lot yeah. of electronic stuff. Um, and you're definitely not, uh, not showing off. Like I, like I said, was that a vision that you've had all along for that sound? Is that just how it's come to be? Man, that is an, it's an absolute like vision. And I got to say, I mean, I got chills when you brought that up because it's that's such like a centerpiece of, of the composition style that like I and the crew look towards, you know, it's a matter of like the, the playing the gaps in between, you know, syncopated rhythms, you know, and, and, and the fact that like the best, if you, if you can't non-musician hum a melody, it ain't the best melody. You know what I mean? Like if there's too many notes in your mouth that you can't do that sometimes, sometimes it's great. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to diss on that, but like generally for people to like feel it, you know, it's that, it's that, that, uh, simplicity, but inside of that simplicity, finding like a, 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 um, a well thought out musical expression, you know, and there's something I learned. It's funny. We're talking about this. Something I learned in college, you learn like musical uh, terminology. Right. And there's an actual musical definition called cool. OK, so there's a music, there, there's a definition of cool. And because there's like there's subgenres of jazz, like cool jazz is a yeah. subgenre of jazz. Right. right, right. So the, the definition. But it actually has a theoretical purpose. Right. It's it's it cool. And I'm probably going to mash this up with my uh, if my professors from college are watching. This, I'm really <laughs> sorry, but it, it, sa- it says that cool is to say the most that you can with the least amount of notes. You know, yeah. it's like it's like the coolest guy in the room or girl, all right, lady, woman, the coolest person in the room, if you have a crew of like 15 people, we're all hanging out and everybody's talking and they're doing their thing or whatever, one guy's just chilling back there and he's, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then he steps up and he's like, yeah, well, how about su-su-su? And then the whole thing changes. <laughs> he's the coolest guy in the room, you know? Yeah. And like Miles Davis knew this, he invented cool jazz, you know? And like, if you listen on Birth of Cool, I don't forget the track. It's at the end of the record. Right. And it, the band like literally plays for a minute and a half. And there's no trumpet, no miles. There's just blazing, 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 this whole kind of thing. And then the whole band cuts out and goes down just like a little high. And then miles, one note. Your face just melts. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, bro. That's like, you know, and I, I think, I think if you listen to like the most modern music that like the gen z is getting into it's hella spacious mm-hmm. yeah. super minimal like like the, the the most recent movements in like hip-hop production it's like a kick drum no hi-hat yeah. maybe a clap one bass and it's but it's huge it like fills up the whole space i love that stuff i love it yeah, yeah. You know, we've got like 70 years of popular music now and they've really figured out what works. And you're right in that, you know, complex stuff, whatever, like it's all great. Like there's people who love like uh, bands like Dream Theater, like that's their thing. And that's true. But absolutely like like a, a freaking incredible band. But like, yeah, yeah, but you're you're right, because if you're trying to reach people. It's simplicity. It goes back to sayings like brevity is the soul of wit. You know what I mean? It's, and, and, you know, Barry Gordy saying 
you know, about songs being over three minutes, you know, if you, if you, if you can't say, if you can't say it in under three minutes, it's not worth saying, which that's going a little far, but like, I see his point. I see where he's coming from. And when people, when people get hooked on music, um, it's not about, it's not about the chords that you're playing. It's not even really about lyrics. Most of the time, if you got a strong melody and a strong groove, you got everything you need. Yeah. And if you and if you don't have those things, you got a problem. True, it's true. Well, I, think I think that's why reggae music like is hitting so hard because, I mean, it, one, it's syncopated. Mm-hmm. You know, two, it's like and when it's when it's played correctly or at its most like roots form, like the guitar is playing ghost notes. The keyboard is 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 the the skank on the keyboard is is as like as as quick an attack as you can possibly get. And then the bass lines are sometimes just three or four notes. The one drop is just, you know, as it says, it's just dropping once altogether. Yeah. It's like super minimal, but together it makes this like this perfect kind of energy. And I, I, I you know, I see people catching on to that, you know? Oh that, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, more, more than any other style of music, it's like a puzzle. It's like, and every, and yeah. every, every instrument is one piece in the puzzle and there's nothing that's, you know, there to dominate anything else it all just fits together really well and going back going back to what i was saying before that's what i like about what you guys do you're not trying to force any uh wrong sized puzzle pieces (laughs) into the wrong holes you know what i'm saying i I like how i like how you put it together like that so um when the band came together off of your initial recordings has it always been a four-piece no in fact it's gone back and forth to many different sizes you know and i think you know uh um you know i was kind of thought into action maybe by the fact that we have like a tribe identity because it's really been a lot of really awesome and beautiful people that have come and come in and out you know when we first brought out the crew we had like two backup singers and a percussionist and all this kind of thing which obviously like touring a, a, a new band with like eight members is financially impossible that's what just, we do yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so, and so we made like, you know, we made like, our, like, uh, um, you know, like our, our special ops version, you know what I mean? So we could like move quickly, you know, and then we have like the bigger one. And you'll see now, like uh, recently we did, um, you can find on like YouTube and Instagram and, and Facebook, we put out some videos of, uh, that have some backing vocalists performing with us again. And I'm hoped, I hope to continue to bring them. Antoinette Ruth is like a, a the more a veteran singer and she's got a great voice. And then Tatiana Berdesio, that's my daughter. She's up there singing with me too. Awesome. You know, so, which is like, you know, it's nice to have like a more expansive band, but yeah. we, 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 we traveled as a three piece and, and, and still, you know, created yeah. energy and that kind of thing. Yeah, we we have a thing where, you know, if our horn players or our hand percussionists can't make it, like we can play as a four piece. But the problem we had is once we added horn players, nobody wants to go back to hearing us without the horn player. And it's like, and I get I get why bands don't do it more often. In fact, like 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 Bob Marley always wanted horn players throughout his whole career, and Chris Blackwell was always like, No, it's a logistical nightmare. We don't need to add more people to the band. He finally got it towards the end of his career. But he's right. You know, once you start going beyond four to like six, seven, eight people, it's like, I mean, you're, you're, you're doubling the expense of being out on the road. It's everything that comes along with that. But it, but it does, it does expand that sound a lot. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you look, Bob's a good example. You look at like the, the original Whalers, when it's Bob, uh, Peter, and Bunny up front, and they like you see some of those old BBC recordings. And I mean, it's a tight unit. It's it's not it's not Bob Marley and the Whalers that you see at the end with like you know like two percussionists and four girls and you know three guys. Like yeah. it's not exaggerating. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, we had a big old band at the end, you know. And it's yeah. And I think I think I think it's it's smart for for any musician or band to like think out if they do want to get that big band thing to think out their level of growth to get to that point, because you're right. You do, you run into the logistical issues of, you know, uh, I mean, horn players too, man. I mean, man, jazz pays really well. And so if they can really play their horn, you know what I mean? They're used to getting, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, that's we're, we're kind of pulling the curtain aside from some of the magic of the music, you know, for the fans. But there is, you do have to worry about those things, you know, and making it's sure everybody, yeah, and that everyone's taken care of. Yeah, everybody wants to be paid, right? I mean, that's well, you know, I mean, <laughs> if money's being made, then like people should be paid, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. That's, you know, and, and that that goes that goes doubly so for um, festival promoters and venue owners that are listening right now. Money's yeah. being made. Yeah. Everybody should be paid, and especially if like the music's a big part of that. And that doesn't always happen for everybody. Oh, you could say that again. <laughs> well, it's um, hey, you know, business is shady, right? Like, like we could name any business, and it's all shady. But like the music business because it operates so much below the radar. There's so much more opportunity for shadiness in the music business no, it does. than, than in a lot of other businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of cash business and this kind of thing. And there's a lot of people who get into the music business because there's another aspect of it. That's not about just profit. It's about like posturing and clout and cred and this kind of stuff. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a, a club owner, man, you know, you're like the cool guy in your crew and you can flex that around. Some people just go into it just to mm -hmm. be that. Or there's some festival promoters that are in it just for like, for the flex, you know? And there's dude, and don't get me wrong, festival promoters, that we want to play at your shows. You guys are doing a great job. And we're, there's a lot of you yeah, guys who are. If you're watching or listening to this, we're not talking about you. Because <laughs> I said that, but like, you know, they, they, they know too. Like there's yeah. some really honorable people out there that are doing oh, yeah. great work. Yeah. And, and, they, and they see these other people out there that are putting up these fests that are like not treating artists right or in it for the wrong reason. And, and, and they're probably the most upset about it because it's giving their industry a bad name or a bad reputation. And, you know, and I mean, it's not, it's not just reggae. It's like music industry across the board, you know, as part, as part of the deal, but it's also, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I think anytime that you try and put like a dollar amount on expression or art, you know, you run into some, just, it gets, it gets wild after that point you know i mean like there's people who will put pay two million dollars for a uh um you know a canvas with some paint on it that you know the materials didn't cost more than 10 bucks you know what i mean like and and so there's something else that's going on there you know and i mean yeah there's ticket sales and and and, and um you know things that you can you can equate but there's also like artists who you know they might be doing that one performance there, 
and they're getting paid for that performance, but they're not just getting paid for that performance. They're getting paid for the, the, the hundreds and thousands of hours that they put into their craft that made that performance happen. Yeah. Yeah. Music's unique, man. It's like, it's the only industry where our product, you know, we call it art, but our product itself is inherently worthless. The, the, the songs we create, the, the albums we put out are completely worthless because people get it for free virtually. I mean, everywhere. And, and we know that we've come to terms with the way things are these days is not the way it was back in the day where like, you know, you toured to support the album. Now we tour to support ourselves, you know? So it's, 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 it's a really strange, the music industry is really strange. It's really different from everything else in those ways. And it makes us find new avenues to try to do stuff. And, and like you said, like we're putting all these hours, all this time into it. And then the rug gets pulled out from under us. And the only thing we can do is just try to move forward and, and, and keep making it work. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's also a huge risk for everybody involved in anything when it comes to music, you know, and you're right. It is, it is all over the place. And, you know, if you think about it, like it's only the last couple hundred years of human evolution, that's even been a thing. Like, you know, that you, there's speakers everywhere pumping music and there's, you know, the soundtracks to everything. And then at this point in the last 20 years, it's like, you know, a $10 subscription, you can listen to any song that's ever been ever put out of all time ever. You know what I mean? It's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, uh, you know, like in the Renaissance era, like women would like pass out because the music was so amazing. Like that was like part of the deal. Like people would have emotional, physical experiences. And you think about it, like you go, all week long never hearing a single note and then there's an orchestra in your face it's like overwhelming but like we're all like oversaturated with sound which it's there's 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 a positive side to that too right sure because sure yeah gotta like push even harder you know yeah. we're gonna make something even better now that everybody has like a frame of reference and a value system for the music yeah it's um it's it's definitely yeah you know like you said the oversaturation we get desensitized to things you get you get used to something always being there and now with with like the 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 streaming that's available it's like they can't take take that away from us now because we've been conditioned that we can listen to anything we want to where wherever we are in the world like like that like right away so it definitely uh it changed the world it changed everything and it especially changed music when it went to that let's um so you guys are down there in texas your music we get back to talking about that for a minute everything that goes into your sounds, right? Obviously all the influences you came up on. So all the reggae, all the hip hop, all the, um, all the punk you listen to, all that stuff. How much of your music do you say is influenced just by growing up in Texas? Well, you know, on like a general term, you you know, you're a hundred percent a product of your environment. Right. So, you know, it was like the different cultures that found their way, especially in San Antonio, which is like an interesting cultural experience that has a whole, I mean, that's a whole episode, but like, um, I would say a great portion of it, you know, it's, and it was also our, our, our ability to, you know, tap into things that were coming into our town, you know, as much as like, we'd like to think that, you know, we're, 
um, were able to research and find things out there, you know, like, you know, like, like Swedish death metal, if you're in Brazil, you know what I mean? Or what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like point where you can do that, but it's still has a lot to do with like, like your peer group and what they're listening to and the, like, uh, what, what, what the ex- shared experiences you have together. And that's like concerts and, you know, whatever you're playing in your car when you're rolling around as a kid, you know, and this kind of thing. And so a, a huge part, you know, and I'm grateful for it. You know, I mean, like, we're not influenced, you know, you, there's no like country music influences in our stuff. Obviously there's a lot of country in Texas, you know, uh, Tejano, Norteño, like we're, we're come from a very like, uh, Mexicano, Chicano, like dominated area of Texas. And so that was a big part of growing up. Like Selena is still queen there, you know, but like that's still, you know, aside from like, maybe it like seeping in, through like the corners of your mind where you're not necessarily directly tapping into it, you know, but at the same time, you like, you look at the band and, you know, we're like, puro San Antonio. Like we look like we sometimes like we could be a metal band, you know, like, I don't know how else to put it, but like, we are like who we are hundred percent. You know what I mean? At least we're not faking the funk, you know? No, no, you can't, you can't. Yeah. But I mean, like, the, you talk about the synthesizers and, and samples and this kind of stuff that's in the music. And, and that's a huge thing for me. Like, you know, like growing up in San Antonio, there was like a house music and like trip hop scene and industrial scene that had developed. And, you know, a lot, there was like a, an exchange of Chicago house DJs who were coming out of San Antonio since way back in the day. And like, and, and so like my exposure to electronic music, drum and bass, break beats, techno, this kind of stuff, you know, and trip hop, especially and whatnot, you know, b-boy culture and all that kind of thing was like a big part of my environment growing up. So like, you know, like that finds its way inside the music a lot and, and, and heads up, it's going to, it's going to get in there more and more. (laughs) No, that's the way it should be though, man. I mean, because you're right, you are in large part a product of your environment, no matter what you came up listening to. Um, Jamaican reggae is always going to sound different from reggae made anywhere else in the world, right? Especially since it's the original. But you get reggae that's made in Germany, there's going to be that flavor to it. Ca- the, the Cali Roots bands, man, you can tell a Cali Roots band in the first five seconds of hearing a new band's music because you hear, you hear the sunshine, you hear that the, the laid back sunshine coming through the music. When I yeah. hear an, when I hear an East coast reggae band, I know they're from the, like you can tell because of those flavors. So it's, 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 a, I, I, but I think that's great. I think it's ideal because it keeps everything from sounding exactly the same. It does. And, well, and reggae is like, like herb, man, like it can grow in any climate, but it grows different whatever climate it's in, you know, right it's on. like, it's a strong energy. And, and, and I think, you know, I think one of the things that people have, like come to terms with and are starting to embrace is that like when the Jamaican artists were speaking of like roots and culture, you know, that they weren't necessarily saying, and I'm, I'm, they weren't saying at all, you know, be Jamaican, learn Jamaican culture, you know, honor and respect the culture, you know, but like find your like cultural identity and whatever that whole thing is and learn, learn to express. I mean, one of the things that made, you know, the like 70s reggae music, you know, the roots reggae Rasta movement that a lot of us like look back upon, you know, so powerful is these guys quit singing in American accents and they started singing in Patois, which is like mm-hmm. such a cool 
take on the English language. You know, it sounded good to everybody else and cool, but more than anything else, it was like their own tongue. It was their own vernacular, their own style, you know? And I think, and I think that's, that, that's, that's a big statement, you know? And I, I feel like, like we all need to like strive continuously to be as authentic as we can as we move down this reggae journey we all are. Yeah, you, you have to be who you are. And, and because we are still a product of who we are and there's, there, there's definitely some things that um, I, I have a few strong opinions that I won't go into here on the way s- some American artists kind of handle their business. So we don't need to get into that. But all, all I really want to say is like, you got to be yourself. And that's another thing that I really like about Soul Tribe. Uh, I don't hear you trying to be anything you're not. And, yeah, man, and, 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 and so it comes through. It comes through. It's, it's a continuous effort too. like self self knowledge is one of the most powerful things and and it's that's that's a journey you you know i you should you should be on for the rest of your life yeah man yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. oh for real man i mean that's 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 as real as it gets to to try to on one hand we're trying to honor a culture that came before us and has been built on but on the other hand you got to filter it through you and create something new with it you can't you can't be just trying to copy somebody else and do their thing um Let's let's move on and talk about lyrics, man. So, well, first, uh, you're obviously the driving force in Soul Tribe, right? Um, mm-hmm. How collaborative is the process between you and, and the others? And um, are all the lyrics yours? Do you do all the lyrics? I do all the lyrics. So lyrically, that's like 100%. I'm open to the idea of doing, uh, um, you know, collabor- collaborations on lyrics. You know, I just don't, I don't have a lot of, of, of guys or women that I've worked with who have been particularly interested in that or have had like a lyrical energy that we could like communicate together. Cause that's a very personal thing, but it's also the writing process. Like some people, they like write poetry and then they set it to music. You know, that's one approach. And then there's some people approach it the other way, like the music, like words come out of the music. And I'm a words come out of the music kind of guy. Like my phone is full of na 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 because I said da 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 da. You know what I mean? I got like the melody and a couple of the words. I got a couple of words. Some melody ideas. So there's that thing, you know. And then I, I mean, I do a lot. I, I I spearhead a lot of the production of music, music, and that's become even more so over the years. Like you hear some of our early work. Um, uh, Rising Sun and Cry Freedom were our two first EPs that we put out. And that's like heavily co-written with Ross Ijinga and Matt Wolf, uh, who was the keyboardist who did some amazing stuff. And with Robo Roots, who was the, the bassist that we've worked with for many years. It's like, and then as time went on, it's become like a lot more of like, here's a core idea, you know, like I'll do demo versions mm. and then I'll drop it on you know, the musicians and have them play it out. Sometimes I'm playing, you know, some instruments, more than one instrument on the track, you know. And then, you know, lately, I mean, I would, I would, no spoiler, but there's actually, there's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see me like doing some material that someone, other people have written entirely themselves. Uh-huh. But All right. Well, you didn't spoil it, but I'll look forward to whatever it is that you don't want to talk yeah. about. <laughs> well that's cool man it's it's funny because i always like talking to people about their creative process because everyone's is different 
And sometimes there is no hard process. It's just, it, it comes at you a bunch of different ways. Um, mm. I'm, I'm like you in that, like, I'm, I'm kind of the main creative force. I'm here doing stuff all the time. And then I kind of will, will do a demo or send a, a song structure to the band. So I, I like working like that too. It also, like you said, yeah, it depends on who's in your band. Like we don't have any other writers in our band and nobody really wants to do any of that. So they're just like, you go ahead and handle it. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's what I like to do anyway. So yeah, it really varies from, um, from band to band. Talk, talk about your band for a minute, man. Talk about Soul Tribe. Talk, tell, tell everybody, uh, introduce the rest of your band for us. All right. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, my drummer, Paul, he's been with me, you know, on the most number of tours and, uh, you know, studio sessions and this kind of thing. And, um, he's, uh, he's like, uh, like a living legend in San Antonio, as far as like local guys who play out, like people are always trying to get Paul to go and, and do their project. He plays all, all genres of music, you know, and he's just, he's a beast behind the drums and he's the, he's, he's a, he's a solid backbone. He's a brother to me. Like, you know, he's just, you know, it's just good people nonetheless. But, and then we have, um, Brian, whom we all call Coco's because like he came, he came with that nickname when we met him. I'm sure he goes by Brian now, but like <laughs> but we still call him Coco's and he's cool with it, you know? And, uh, and he's a keyboardist, producer, guitarist all around, like creative guy, you know, he's his technical proficiency on, on, on guitar is is quite impressive mm -hmm. and I, i'm hoping that when, you know when we do some performance in the future that we get to you know showcase them that he also like uh plays in like uh Kumbia and mombaton bands he plays cool. accordion and bass and this kind of stuff so he's like really into that like cultural thing and uh, he's got his own like electronic production and this kind of stuff you can find out there uh, and then uh, there's miguel who's like our latest member of the crew. He's a bassist. He's from Venezuela, you know? Uh, so he brings like a whole other energy to the thing. And, you know, he's got a, a strong background on the bass, but his like, he works with um, Telefilm and a few other like uh, indie kind of groups in town, you know? And for people who don't know, like um, South America has been like, popping off for reggae consistently since the seventies, since like it, it, it came out. So like, you know, I've actually, he's, he's the second South American musician I have played with. I had another man, Uruguay, who played with us for a little while. And like to say reggae, it's just like something they know automatically, you know, and they have like their, you know, I mean like Venezuela has like Los Cafres, which is like, they're like hard hitting reggae band, you know, and like he's like knows all the music. Because, you know, whether, whether, whether he is like, you know, a, a roots purist or not really doesn't matter, you know, because if you're from South America, bro, like reggae is part of the conversation and always has. Well, it's all vibe anyway, man. You were saying, we were talking about this earlier about, you know, the bass and drums that grew. I always say reggae is heartbeat music. And that's why it's easy for everyone to connect with it because, I mean, that's what that is. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's what you're feeling. It's like, it's like listening to the equivalent of a human heart beating in the form of a band, you know, in the, in the form, in the form of music. So last year, right. The pandemic hit all of us and canceled tours and all kinds of crazy stuff. So y'all buckled down and you did a bunch of recording, bunch of creative stuff. Okay. Yeah. 
And let me make sure I got all this right. So you came out with 2020, right? Toward the, it was toward the end of, of 2020. You came out with the album 2020, right? And, and now what I brought you on here to talk about most along with everything else is that by the time people tune into this, you're going to have this new EP out called more than a lifetime, the remixes. Now this is really cool. I really dig this project. So tell everybody what it's about. Okay. Uh, more than a lifetime is a, a single off of 2020 and uh, we'll get into like the subject of that song in a minute, but more than a lifetime, the remixes, we took that track and ran it into, you know, a couple different genres that weren't reggae. Like we've been, we've been like hustling so hard after 2020 and now we're working on our follow-up EP of, of new material. And it was just like, I was like, well, what would happen if I did this in a lo-fi kind of style? What would happen if I did this in like, like a more Latin kind of beat and this kind of thing? And we just, and we went from there, you know, and it's, it's, it was, it was just really fun because, you know, it's, it's good that you brought up at this point because we talked a lot about the variety of influences. Yeah, man. It was like, you know, that was it. It was just pulling from those influences and saying, look, yo, this is a good song. We had this music video that we were like really wanting to put out for a long time. It's, it's quite like a creative uh, effort. And we we're like, yo, let's, let's try and see what happens when we mix it up. And, and, you know, and we really like the way came out so we were putting it out for the people yeah man i don't know that i've ever seen anybody do anything quite like that before and maybe somebody has but i was like yo this is really cool because you've got like there's like a spoken word version you're doing on there you've got like this old school low lo-fi thing coming on and then you've got one that you titled mtal and uh yeah. and i see what you did there i'm not going to ruin it for everybody but I see what but I see what you did there with that title. Um, I thought this was really cool because you didn't just re, a, remix the tune or, or or you know strip it down or something. These are like almost full fledged different versions of these tunes in different styles, and that's that's just really cool. I haven't seen that before. I thought that was really unique. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, when, you know when that came out, it was like. You know, like, wow, this is a really clever idea. I wonder if it's even like something that we should be doing, you know, because it's so it's so off the cuff. And, you know, like, I feel like we've we put out five EPs so people know we're a reggae band, you know, but like, well, how about we like, you know, we show them that we do these other we can do these other things, too. Yeah. And we listen. To them. Well, you you uh, you include the actual single on there, too. Yeah. Which yeah, is well, which is great yeah. because that's that's kind of setting the pace. Like, okay, here's the single, and now get ready for what we've done with this tune. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's 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 totally the energy we're going for. I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you heard it. You know? Oh yeah, man. Oh man, instantly. And I was like, when I when you sent me the link and I'm checking it, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this 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 is gonna be cool. And so I, you know, I came in the other room and just started listening to all the tracks. Like, that's yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. So it's so uh, yeah, man, good job on that. That that was really cool. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the feedback. You know, I mean, obviously, by the time this come out, it'll have already like hit, and we'll hear back from some people. But you know, yeah. it's kind of like you know, we haven't been wanting to tell people really what it is all along. You normally, when we come out with a with an EP, we give people little snippets of mm-hmm. uh, you know what we're doing, and you know, especially like MTAL and the spoken word version. I don't think people are expecting that at all and that, I, 
else that you know I'm, I'm in the studio like laughing to myself because like <laughs> you know yeah no man it's great I, I would absolutely recommend it to anyone any fans of any style of music because this is pure creativity it's per, pure musical artistic expression and i think um i don't know man you might start a trend with this you might all of a sudden we might have all kinds of different bams popping off and we and and i'll be able to say yo soul tribe did that first so yeah man hey i'm your witness see what other guys and and ladies out there got going on creatively you know what i mean yeah yeah man for for, you know i mean this for sure everybody's influenced by other genres and plays and listens to other genres even the even the roots guys that made this music from the very beginning, they still were listening to and enjoying other genres, and probably oh, yeah. not in the studio, but maybe on their own. That was like, you know, like Bob Marley loved country and funk. You know what I mean? Like, boom. People people don't people don't realize how much country and R and B went into making reggae in the first place, because all that stuff was coming down off the New Orleans radio stations and all that. You know, what, like from Fats Domino to Willie Nelson, like they were catching all that stuff. Yeah. And it's funny in reggae, man, because sometimes, and this probably happens in other genres too, but the artists get pigeonholed to the point where they think like, that's all we listen to. And it's like, no, we're just like everybody else, man. We listen to a lot of music, yeah. a lot of different music. It's like, you know, and, and it just, it comes into what we're doing. I don't think you'll find any musician who only listens to one style of music. Yeah, it, it's the, it'd be very rare, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So where can people get the More Than a Lifetime, the remixes EP? Uh, it's going to be on all platforms, you know, Spotify, Excellent. you know, Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon Music, all that stuff. Music video, we're actually putting it out on YouTube, IGTV, and Facebook simultaneously. Right. We've been, like, only putting our videos out on YouTube and, like, telling people on our other platforms, oh, go to YouTube and check this out and whatever and whatnot. I kind of feel like, man, people, if people want to check it out on YouTube, go do that and definitely, you know, leave a comment and follow the XYZ. But like, you know, we've got a lot of people that they don't, they don't want to leave the platform that they're currently on. But why, why would you, why would you limit their exposure to the thing? You know? And I think I'm hoping a lot of bands catch on to that too, because there's so many artists who are like, you know, giving me snippets of their video and they're like, the, the video's out, check it out, go to YouTube. And I'm on Instagram and I'll be real honest, like sometimes it's a really dope video and I'm like, oh, I got to check that out sometime. And then I'm still scrolling through. And if they'd given me the whole thing, I would have sat there and watched the whole thing at that moment and like giving them some support. I mean, I'll always support. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're a reggae band in the scene, you know, uh, Soul Tribes probably commented on a couple of your posts. <laughs> we just, I kind of feel like, yo, let me just talk about it for a second to everybody out there. Like, every reggae band that posts out there should have like 30 reggae bands at least liking it on when you go through the people who liked it. Like, if we, a unity organization, if we're all like in this thing together, then you should see people from, from all across the continent you know, supporting everything everybody's out there doing. I mean, with the exception of, you know, some things that maybe don't personally resonate, but I mean, it makes a huge difference. And to the fans out there, like the only way that this genre has moved forward is because of social media. Hands down, 100%. If you want to see it move forward more, drop a, 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 a 100 emoji on somebody's thing and it boosts them up so that other people can find the music. 
Because, I mean, it's one thing for you to go out there and, like, be a DJ and share your playlist with everybody, and that's awesome. We want to be on playlists, too. But, like, you know, and bands, too, man. Like, you know, like, I'm going to see a band, and I'm on a lineup with them, dude. You're going to see me and my crew, like, plotting for them between their songs. All night. All it's night. Thing, you know All what night. I mean? Yep, so, yep. You know, yeah. and I can yeah. don't don't yeah, hey you don't be don't be too cool that you gotta stand in the back of the room when the other band is on, dude. Like throw some support and have your people support and do the same thing on social media, you know. Like I don't need to like prove anything to anybody. I know who I am, but I'm a hundred percent about watching other people like put their thing forward. And if and, and if there's anything that I can do to support that, you know what I mean, they don't have to be great, man. Do you know, like, are, you know, are you, do you, uh, you know, you see a new band coming up, of course, they're trying, they're learning the thing, you know what I mean? You're not going to criticize, you know, a child who like, you know, who can't, you know, dunk a basketball because he's trying to, you know, shoot hoops. Right. You know, I don't know if that's right. the right comparison, but. <laughs> it's you know good I mean? enough for me, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like internet, but like, you know, um, yeah, man. Uh, I, I love it. I love every word you're saying, man. It's, it's funny, man. I've been talking to you this whole time and I feel like I, like I, I'm like, it's like, I'm listening to myself talk because you and I, like you and I think a, a lot alike, man. And I'll, and I'll always tell people like, if you don't see me, especially like if my band opens for yours yeah. and, and it's real late at night and there's hardly anybody left in the club and all that, like, if you don't see me standing right in front of the stage, it's because I'm sick or something. You know right. what I mean? Like I am there until the end and not just because that's how we have to get paid, but right. I'm, I'm there, man. And like, and th that support that you're talking about with the community from fans, from other artists, yeah. it's, it's huge. And anyone who's in it for themselves, it hurts the whole community. And eventually it's going to end up hurting you too. We True. support each other. We comment on each other's posts. You know, when you're here, whether, whether my, if you come through Lawrence, Kansas or Kansas city, whether my band's there playing with you or not, I'm going to be at your show. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, that's the support that we need. And, and, and know it, if, if we're all in this together, it's that whole uh, rising tide raises all ships thing, right? If we're all, if we're all in this together, we're all going to get up there. If, right. if we're, if we're cutting each other's throats, it's going to be a problem. And I've been disturbed lately from certain things I've seen, especially in the past year, about certain elements of the community not being as tight as it could. So it's good for you to reiterate this stuff. Come together, you know? Yeah, man, and live it, you know? I mean, and, and yo, know, like, for anybody that needs to hear this, like, another person's success is not your failure. You know? Like, straight up. That's it you know and like live that and be that because like we all in it together man no matter what it is you know right. yeah man yeah. right on right on well man i've had you for a while and i appreciate you doing this but the last thing i want to get into now is what's ahead for soul tribe man we've got like at least two more eps in the box that we're trying to knock out this year we just have so much back like backlogged energy let's call it that that we've been trying to like push forward so we're back in the studio like this ep's coming out today we're literally back in the studio next week working on the next one you know yeah. so and then and then i'm like starting to interface with some creative directors and videographers who's going to be doing our next you know video stuff 
And um, we have a merch line that we've been developing for a long time that's getting ready to come out. Uh, not just for the band, but there's um, uh, an, an EP we put out prior to 2020 called New World Criminals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And like that phrase like resonated with a bunch of people. We put out, we went on tour and we printed up some stuff that said New World Criminal and like it was gone in two days. We had no idea that that was going to happen. But I think like, like people get it. You don't have to explain it. You're like, this is a New World Order and if that's what they're doing, then we're the criminals. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everybody gets it right out the yeah, gate. Yeah. So, like, we're going to have the New World Criminal clothing line coming out. We're actually uh, partnering up with a, a print company to do that. And, and then, you know, hold on to your hats because we've got some, like, high-level technology stuff that we're working into, like, our performance and touring that's going to be taking place. So, like, as far as touring's concerned, because right. um, there's been a lot of people who have reached out to us about that, I just want to address that real quick. Like, we are going to get back out there. You know, the, um, where we're from, the inner city, San Antonio, Chicano, Latino community has been like, we've been hit really hard by the COVID situation. So a lot of our elders have passed away and a lot, you know, and not even elders, man, like straight up, like, you know, young men and women are passing away too. And so, you know, not to be on that too much but like while people are still mourning and people are still burying their their loved ones like we're not we're not going to be out there encouraging people to to come together you know yeah. uh, you know just out of respect to those people that we know in our community that would that would not want to see us you know promoting tours and this kind of stuff that's and that's nothing against the people who are out there touring hundred percent. Like we got homies out there doing their thing and man, I'm, I'm grateful that, that, that they are and they're able to do what they, what they're going to do. This is just people that affect us personally. That being said, like we're going to keep pushing out all this material while we're here and we're working on a new stage show and some next level goodies for you guys that when we get back out there, like it's, 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 it's going to, it's going to be a reinvented version recharged, you know? Nice. Yeah. No, no, man, I feel you on that. And, and the way I feel always is what I say for me is for me. It's what's right for me, how I do my thing, how I live my life. So I, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody else either. But for us, like when people are dying, it's kind of hard for me to, to worry about people want to see us play or we want to go play. It's like there's like hundreds of thousands of people dying. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of number one. That's kind of a bigger deal than me wanting to go out on tour. Um, like for us, we might do some socially distant festivals and stuff like that, you know, where people are spread out, might do some of that. But like, as far as like a tour with like indoor venues, like not like we're just on a wait and see approach when, when stuff gets back, we'll get back to that. But in, in the meantime, like, no, I can't do that. Right. And, 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 and I, I feel for these venues that, that are trying to like hold the thing open. Cause I mean, you know, it's, it's tough and they probably have to dig real deep and it would be great if bands could tour through. It would also be great if people who come to shows, you know, who across the board, you know, I mean, we, you, you don't ever know the extent to the numbers of people that were attending reggae shows that had, you know, complications that would have made them, you know, uh, make, make catching COVID a more dangerous situation for them. You know right. what I mean? Right. And it's, and you know, there's a lot of like different opinions on the thing and I, I respect everybody's opinion. And whatnot, you know, but um, 
yo, it looks like things are going to get better. And, you know, hopefully this is like uh, a once in a lifetime situation. And we don't, we don't have to deal with, there'll always be struggles, man, but let's not make it this <laughs> for a long, long, long time. You know? might, we might not make it through the next one, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, we need to, we need to get rid of this one and make sure it don't come back, you know? So right. yeah, exactly. But, you know, you know, respect to the fact that when everything shut down, it caused people to pay attention to some some really important things that maybe when they were too distracted with everything else going on, that they weren't able to like like economic and racial justice. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and check it and check in their, their, their crew, you know, like just being like, you know, where are my people at and how much am I like accountable for the mental and physical well-being of the people that I love, which is a lot to everybody, you know? And I think, I think it's good for us, you know? I mean, in those regards, it's, it's sad that it had to happen, but I think, you know, you got, you have to find like the purpose in that moment because every, every moment has its purpose, you know, and, and, and value if you give it to it. Yeah. And, and, and find a way to, to, to find positives or, or to turn a bad situation into at least something positive, something good. You know, if, if we learn from this, maybe we'll never, ever, ever have a pandemic ever again, because we learned how to beat this one. We learned how to stay. So like, there's things that we could do from this that turn it into something positive. And we owe that to each other as human beings to respect each other to that level to get there, you know? Well, I mean, like this right here, straight up, man. COVID caused like a lot of live streams and thing to take on. Like you and I, like really discuss knew more about each other's existence, yeah, because we were both on a live stream, yeah. Boom, and now here we are communicating, and yeah. you know, and there'll, there'll be a day in the in the very near future, one hundred, that I'm going to see you in person. We could play some music and like you know, be in front of it and catch a vibe and you know, bridge a gap and you know, connect. yeah, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so we already turned one to turn one positive out of this, right? Come on, that's right, man. Yeah, man. Well, Anthony, uh, thank you so much for being on the Talking Reggae podcast, man. I've had so much fun chatting with you. I definitely want to do it again sometime. Yeah. And it sounds like with all the new stuff that you're working on, you're going to have plenty to talk to me about in the near future. Oh, man, for sure. And I look forward to coming back and you know chopping up with you again. And uh, yeah, man. You know, maybe 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 we do one in person in the future. You know, that'd be that's. Nice. That's what I'd really like to do, man. I'd really like to turn this into an in-person podcast eventually. So hopefully uh, COVID cooperates with that. So uh, the More Than a Lifetime, the remixes EP is out now. By the time people are listening to this, check it everywhere. And where else can people learn more about Soul Tribe? Uh, SoulTribe.net. That's our website. You can, you can get updated there. Uh, you know, Instagram forward slash Soul Tribe Music, Facebook forward slash Soul Tribe. Send us messages, man. You know, like we're that band that like will get right back to you. And like I've got we have <laughs> we have some fans that like, you know, like we tell each other we're talking about our kids and like the latest movie that came out. Oh, you know, it always gotta be music and like, you know, telling us that, you know, you like our, you know, this thing we're doing or whatnot. Because like, yeah, man, we got the best fans and it's, and some of them are, are I mean fans is not the right word, it's friends. We got some of the best friends of the band. That's what I call it, man. I don't even like the word fans. Is, is it, yeah. you know, I don't want to feel separation. If, if there's anything you like about me or street level uprising, like now, now, now we're buds. So that's, yeah, not, exactly. you know, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks a lot for being on talking reggae, man. I, we will talk again soon. And, um, I don't know, just thanks, man. And go check out soul tribe, check out soul tribe, check out soul tribe. They got so much going on.
their live show when they're out there touring again you got to go see them my man anthony from soul tribe thank you so much for being here man one love thanks so much brother have a good day want to know more about street level uprising follow us on facebook and instagram did you know that you could get our dub ep absolutely free just go to streetleveluprising.com slash seven. That's the number seven. This EP is not available anywhere else. You won't hear it on Spotify. You won't be able to buy it on CD at one of our shows. This EP is just to thank you for your support and features dub versions of seven Street Level Uprising tunes. Check us out on Spotify or Apple Music to hear all three of our studio albums. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Talkin' Reggae. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll talk again soon.